tonight's talk is about the <clears throat> fulfillment of remembrance. My um, dad's last two months on the planet were, were at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And he um, really was in a lot of pain. So you could, um, he had so many wounds on his legs, you could see all the way to the bone on most of his legs, and it was not diagnosed. So to make a long story short, at the kind of the very end, we had a, a family meeting and met with a hospice doctor. And my family isn't known for coming together nor agreeing on anything. But we had to, you know, kind of figure out what next steps were at that point. And this uh, hospice doctor was very quiet. My family is a kind of mix of fundamentalist Christians and Baptists. And non-affiliated cynics, atheists, agnostics—you know—it's almost like everybody has a different belief system. That really not not many people respect each other's belief system. And there's one Buddhist. There's one Buddhist. Uh, so this very quiet being kind of went around with each person, kind of checked in. And um, when he got to my sister, older sister, she just started sobbing, sobbing. And she just said, I just, I don't understand. I just don't understand why my dad has to, had to suffer so much. Why did he have to suffer so much? And in that, in that crying and in that question, it was like everybody kind of came together. We could, we could all share. It was like we all shared that. It was very beautiful. Everything shifted. And this man, he said three words to my sister so quietly and very slowly. So she was just like, why? And he said, he got born. And I, to my great surprise, everybody accepted that. Like, it was amazing. It was like in, in those moments, it was so true. There was such truth to it. There was so no, nothing but the truth. He got himself born. Yeah, that was it. Okay. They, they could all get there for it. And it, it, everyone came together and made a decision without any kind of difficulty. It was so beautiful. And then later, um, I went up to him by, you know, privately and I said, 
are you like by any chance <laughs> Buddhist? And he said, yeah, I've been a Tibetan Buddhist for a long time. And I said, well, you really helped my family. Thank you. So there's that human existential predicament that we all share. Often people talk about finding the common ground, and there it is. And not just with humans, but with all of us on the planet, breathing beings. Right before the Buddha died, the community of monks and nuns came around him and they really wanted to know what to do next, right? They were so forlorn and again, it's to make a long story short, but it's just, you know, that again, that feeling already of losing such a light, right? Kind of unimaginable. And his last words were, are translated as, strive on with diligence. Strive on with diligence. And I've mostly found that for modern people who we have such a training of striving, that that can often um, become very unbalanced. You know, the striving on, striving on, the striving without the um, pure motivation, but just trying to get something, get something, get something. It's very deep in us, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> so one time I asked the um, Seidao that Steve and Jesse have mentioned, Myatong Seidao, the happy Seidao. We nicknamed him the happy Seidao because he's the happiest being we've ever met. Truly happy. So I asked him about the, that phrase and he said how he understood that rather than strive on with diligence. He said it was the fulfillment of remembrance. And I found that so, again, as a modern person who really, um, really did strive a lot in my practice, a lot of ambition, and had to work many years to learn how to um, untangle that. It felt so, um, again, it's just the truth, like he was born, fulfillment of remembrance, it's like that fulfillment, it's like if you think of each moment of coming back to the present moment, that, that you're remembering to be here. And so the fulfillment of that is f- full awakening, full enlightenment. And, and so that sense of 
what I said is at the end of the Q&A this morning that if we don't respect that we get distracted, if we look closely and see that we don't control that the attention has gone away, if we could control it, we would. But it's that remembering to come back that's so important. And if you if you demonize the natural, it's like a, the distraction is a natural defense. It's natural. If you demonize it, you're going to want to be here less and less. You'll get into a battle, a war with yourself. And the striving will be trying to get rid of it. That's war. But to have a sense that you can keep remembering more and more and include more and more, right? It's like, that's what it's about. It's like all the things that we can't be with are where we distract ourselves so that if you're not at war with it, uh, there is greater and greater peace because we respect the defense. I have found it in myself and others that if you have that greater and greater respect that when you come back, you don't... (laughs) You don't, like, hate yourself for not being there more. Or judge, etc. You know, it's just like, we're brutal. Then we strive harder. Or, you know, we tend to, like, if we're not relaxed, we tend to push too hard and then we give up. We push too hard and then we give up. So I, I wanted to go over something that um, I, I really uh, developed this over many years. Uh, the teaching is on, it's called raindrop, but some people have taken it to be rain, R-A-I-N, and it's kind of out there big time in the culture, but they keep forgetting the drop. <laughs> and the drop is the most important part. So the DROP, I'll go into it, but the drop is the natural defense that we have to accept. And RAIN is what we're replacing the defense with gradually. So our... It's sometimes hard for me to go into this um, in a way that isn't too many words, but also... um, I try not to explain too much at the beginning, so here we go. R is recognition. A is acceptance. I is interest, but a particular kind of interest. It's interested in pain, neutral, or pleasure. It's not just in you know, pleasure or <laughs> the hopeful, at least neutral. <laughs> and then N is non-identification the not taking things personally, not referring back always to a self-centered I, me, or mine, possessiveness. So when we go through them, the R, of course, is the um, what you're replacing the D of the drop with. So D is distraction. And, the, you know, I'll go into each more of these, but it, it's... Um, 
it's disconnection. It's any time we're spacing out or deluded, not seeing clearly. I like the word zonked. <laughs> zonked. Um, and ex- so there's there's acceptance, and we've you know we've talked about this a bit, but there's acceptance and resistance. So we're replacing. Again, we're replacing the distraction, the spacing out with being able to remember to be here. And I include in this, you know, remembering, relaxing, recollecting, receiving, recognizing. There's lots of R's and they're very, each very distinctive and different, but they're all part of this. It's like, you can't obviously receive the experience if you're not relaxed, right? The attention can't be concurrent or connecting, sustaining. If there isn't, the attention can't be hard. So there's that soft, soft readiness. There's a relaxation. The recollecting means you're, you're collecting the mind from being away, distracted, right? It's, you're pulling it together. And I mean, I think it's so amazing that we can just start to hear this and we're going to start wanting to be less distracted, right? It's just we're, we, we have that striving in us. And, you know, it's just that sense of, are we interested in it? That demonizing of the very thing that's trying to protect us. If there isn't mindfulness, what do you think has to happen? Distraction. And we're so merciless, rather than being grateful. So you can feel sometimes that, you know, when you start to get restless and fidgety and um, or you might fall asleep more, there's a way in which, you know, as you go along, and we've talked about that purity purification, it's like when, when we're, stuff is coming up and it's stuff we don't know how to be with, well, we don't have a relationship well, we tend to reject it, then what are we going to get? Resistance, it's going to protect us. But there we go again, it's like we're, we're merciless again with it as we get quieter rather than saying, oh, my good friend, resistance. I was hoping you'd come up to protect me. It's possible. And as I've said, without that respect and that ability to get that it's trying to protect us, and for sure it's been protecting you your whole life. (laughs) And we just, again, we walk in and we think we're just going to yank these petals open so that we can be free without that gradual work of getting a relationship to what's closing the, the bud. Your system will will shut down. It's wiser than you. Your system is wiser than you. If it knows that you don't have a Brahma Vihara or mindfulness, it's going to protect you, thankfully.
much wiser. So any kind of, you know, controlling with aversion and attachment, suppression, rejection, non-acceptance, that's all in that category. And when there's a, uh, you know, there's a way in which we tend to want to fake acceptance, you know, and, and we're so good at it. And we tend to be kind of like, if you listen to a thought stream, it's almost like we're a little kid, like... In a, in a sleep, if whatever it is that's coming more that's hard, like say it's even sleepiness, it's like, and you can be like, I don't really care if sleepiness came up again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay, but you're like, Arr. you know, it's just, it's you're trying, but that's not it. <laughs> it's like, not quite, or you you bargain, and it's like, well, I'll, you know, I'll be with this fear, you know, right now if you go away forever. You know, it's just that sense of, we have that, we're, we're not, it's not genuine. And that's okay, you see, I can describe it so well because I know it so well. And, and it's being able to appreciate that I know I get more of a relationship of trust with myself when I see it clearly. And I accept that that's how it is. And this is why the Brahma-viharas are so important. A whole week of them are here to help us when this happens. A whole week of being able to go, hmm, maybe I could try. Feeling some compassion for the resistance. Or equanimity. Things are as they are. Or metta, whatever is the easiest for you. Because you can get fully liberated by noticing and being with resistance. We think it's in the way, but it isn't. It's just another experience to be free with. The opposite of the interest, and this is the, this is the interest where um, it's, it's um, impartial with pleasant, unpleasant, new, neutral. I'll go into it a little bit more. But at its, gen, its very genuine nature of it is that there's no agenda whatsoever, no expectation. And we call it a pure exploration. We really aren't trying to get anything or get rid of anything, genuinely. And of course the opposite, the O, the O was a little hard to get in the drop when I was first doing this. You know, I wanted raindrop, but, you know, so the, the word is obliviousness or obtuseness, which is true, but there's a lot of other words that might be easier, but I like oblivious. <laughs> um, opaque, overlooking, boredom, apathy, indifference, disinterest, partiality. And I think often in practice what becomes clear, clear is, is often apathy or boredom, that giving up or the low energy which can lead to the boredom, the indifference. It's the indifference to our suffering that causes more suffering.
And, and again, what's the, the paradox is that the more you can allow that you don't care, that you do give up, right? We're not... I'm, I'm giving the paradox and the opposite, but within that I'm saying you can get fully enlightened through being with boredom. You can understand that it's not yours. And the attention isn't, isn't um, hooked. It's, it's, it unhooks, it's free, and boredom is totally okay. Just as it is. No need to get rid of it. No need to entertain yourself. Trungpa Rinpoche said in one of his earlier books, uh, it's, it's amazing if we can get from here to the next corner without entertaining ourselves, without trying to entertain ourselves, right? Can you get from here to the door without trying to entertain yourself? That's, that's that movement away from that, just being, learning how to... The attention in this practice goes from being gross to refined, and as it shifts another layer to another layer of refinement, it's usually bored. It takes time for the attention to get as refined as what's appearing. And so it, it, you'll go, you'll think, you know, usually around this point in a retreat, there's a, almost a, the whole group will go through a period of feeling um, like they're less mindful than ever. And it's hilarious because if you, <laughs> you kind of went out of here and had to go do something like shop at the grocery store, you would really find out that you're more mindful than ever. But it, you just kind of get in here and immersed. And, you know, we notice sometimes someone will say, well, my thoughts are so loud and they're so fast. And it's like, that's more mindful than ever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm noticing how much my attention's going off. That's more mindful than ever. So you can start to see that, again, the, the indifference, the, the kind of tuning out, the obliviousness, is a way that the system is trying to protect us because it's not interested. And the more that we know that it's okay not to be interested, then the system trusts us, it, we allow for that, and eventually the interest will come back mainly because we're not fighting it. We're not using all our energy fighting it. So it just takes time and then the energy will eventually fill up and we'll have the interest again. It's not personal. But the fighting sure takes a lot of energy. And I think the N in in RAIN is often the hardest for us to understand, the hardest to explain. And so it's easier with the opposite. So the... um, in the drop, it's that possessiveness or the personalization, the sense that it's my anger, my boredom, my body, my thoughts. This is my emotion, right? This is me, 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 me. It's all about me. And yet, if we can't respect that, 
I think one of my favorite places to have seen it, I volunteered in an inner-city daycare center in my junior year in college. Uh, and I was just a volunteer. I didn't set the program. And the teachers decided that they wanted to teach the children the value of sharing. And so they, you know, tried to explain it. And, you know... <laughs> So these two kids were fighting over this truck and, you know, they were just pulling and kind of getting madder and madder and um, the one kid, like, pulled the truck out from the other guy finally and he came up to me and he said, Miss McDonald, I'm sharing. <laughs> With, like, total mischief in his eyes. He knew he wasn't sharing, but he wanted to please me, right? They got the concept. They just didn't want to do it. that truck was mine right mine mine and little kids have to have that sense that they that something can be theirs right it's an important part of development mine 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 and so when that mine I don't care what they say, this feels like my knee pain right I don't care what they say this really feels like my anger Go for it. Like, let yourself feel what identification feels like. Rather than go, you know, it's like not, instead of, I shouldn't be feeling this, it's much more, what does my anger feel like? Usually pretty bad. My enjoyment. Boy, that's a great place to explore. That's where we really like to get lost. Don't take that away from me, right? It's like, I'll do anything but give up the identification with enjoyment. We want to lose that sense of little me in it, but actually the little me gets bigger, it gets attached. And then, of course, the teaching is more to notice it, but then to see if we can have that soft mental note. It's not my enjoyment. It's simply enjoyment, just like grief. It's not my grief, it's not my sadness, not, not my peace. It's, it's that sense that, that oh, that's the last big thorn in the heart, is this sense of everything referring back to a little me. And yet, we respect it, we respect when that's happening. And I, I think that if you get in touch with your heart center, you can feel that contraction, the, the contraction of mine, mine, it'll, or aversion, no, this, even though something is happening, the heart is contracting, it's going no. Or even though the pleasure is passing, we're going, no, I want it, right? I, 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 and it, it hurts. It's a contraction. And when there's the non-identification, all, all of the RAI will feel like the heart is softening. And then when we get that it's not ours, whew, it's that full letting go. That's what letting go means. Letting go means that there's the recognition, the acceptance, interest, and then that, oh, not mine. And it's, this is deep. It's not, and when we're seeing it's, and I think that um, 
it's such a practice to be with hearing or seeing, smelling, touching, tasting, thinking, emotion, of, of at times just checking to see if it feels like it's me seeing or just being with the scene. etc. And it, it's kind of like um, if you need to change the channel, if you are bored, there are little things like that to do. It's, it's, we ask about reverence, for example, and a reverent step, reverent, but you can be practice being reverent with, reverent with seeing. And then, but then it can shift, you can shift it to non-identification. That can be a 10-second practice. You see, so it, it's, it's sometimes, because I spent some years working with young children in education, I found that um, if you could keep coming up with um, ways to get the attention of the children by changing the channel at kind of the right time. You'd, I never tended to have too many problems <laughs> because I was really trying to pay attention to how long their attention span was. And, and if you overdid it, then they would act out. And of course, each person was individual, but we're like that too. We just hide it with reality. How, how much can we take? And in terms of the P of the drop, the personification, I tend to include in that conceit. So because it in the, the Buddhist teaching that I am better than you, I am worse than you, or I am equal to you, um, all are referring back to an I. And the Buddha considered it madness. Actually, he, he called it madness. And, it, you know, when we talk about compost, he has a very long, wonderful sutta called the dung heap. <laughs> And the dung heap is like all about, you know, conceit. It's really funny. You know, just pile it up. Just keep piling it up. That need to feel special, that need to feel worse than if things aren't going our way. And then, well, at least I'm equal. (laughs) All kind of, you trace it back to, I that neediness that we really hate, neediness to be better, special. And then the need to hide, right? We have the other side, disappear. So I, I'm, I, you know, of course, this would require many talks. But the the um, the R A I N, when it, this, some of those are present or all, there's less need to control. There's more understanding, less need to control, and there is that sense of you know when the morning instruction, it's like the the sounds do come and go by themselves. 
the emotions do come and go by themselves. And there's, there's not that little me obstructing it, getting in the way of it. And when the DROP, without demonizing, without judging, but that when that, the defenses are all up, there's more and more need to control because there's less understanding. And that's okay. Very important. And my first retreat, you know, I didn't know anything about any of this in 1975. And we were just, you can't believe what our, my room was just a curtain between probably 10 people just on the cement floor. They just put some curtains up between people. No windows. The good old days. <laughs> Hard, right? Um, and I had li- been living in a tree house in northern Maine, and uh, it was a big change to be like that, like sardines. There were many people, but that was just one area where they put some of us. Uh, and I, boy, this retreat, I just had no idea what I was getting myself into. And the, the joke is that, you know, went into this building and there was no office. This, this is the first three-month retreat that had happened in the United States. And they um, let a few of us in at the end. So that they let a few people in the last two weeks of a three-month retreat. It was... Um, and these were kind of the hardcore people who'd been in India for many years. And, you know, I come in from a little, just not too far away. And there, uh, no one would talk to me. Like, there was no manager, there was nothing, there was no anything. So, I walked up to this doorway, to the, it was a meditation hall, and there was a little schedule. And I saw, like, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. And then it said, talk. It's 7.30. (laughs) I I thought, oh, good. We can talk at 7.30. I think I can do this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then, like, that first night, we weren't talking. And I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible, you know. But, um, long story again, but... What I used to do at the walking periods, I, I just, that was inconceivable, you know. So I would go up and I'd lay in my little, between the curtains, and I called it, walking periods were thinking baths. So I would go up for my thinking bath every walking period and just lay there going, and think, and think, and think, and think, and think. <laughs> just like, and it was my natural defense, right? I couldn't, there was no way I could control that. I never would have made it through the retreat. I did one walking after, it was so dark out and cold, it was winter, so northern Maine, couldn't go out, I didn't want to go outside, so I did the walk after um, the talk. (laughs) And I felt like a champ, you know, not a chump. I felt like I was really rocking that one. (laughs) It's what I could do. And I think I've trusted that a lot in my practice. I could see that I couldn't do it all. And it was so pleasurable to lie there thinking. Like it was the way I I, um, managed to get to the sittings. 
And I, I couldn't have verbalized, this is my defense and I need it right now. I just knew I needed it. And you know, we can get so hard on ourselves, but it wasn't like I was, who was I hurting, right? It's like we can feel like we just murdered somebody because we had a cup of tea when we shouldn't have, right? It's just like we are unbelievable. Like, you know. Albert Einstein said, I very rarely think in words at all. A thought comes and I may, tr- I may, tra- I may, I may try to express it in words afterwards. Do you think of Albert Einstein like that, right? I, rare, I very rarely think in words at all. A thought comes and I may try to express it in words afterwards. And he described how he discovered the theory of relativity at age 16. He imagined himself, um, he, had, he was riding a bike, and he imagined himself chasing a beam of light, of sunlight, and then riding on that sunlight like he was on the bike. He imagined himself riding on the sunlight to the edge of the universe. That's how he discovered it. So that this direction, again, of um, the non-conceptual, say we're experiencing anger or fear, but it's anything, it's like, and we might, it, with anger, we tend to have that grind of like we get, we f- want to feel right and we get more right. And then we become the whole court, right? We become the judge, the jury. We get the best lawyer. We really prove that we're right, right? And, you know, an hour goes by and we're still getting righter and righter. And we haven't experienced the anger at all, right? It's all thought, it's all memory, it's all just total imagination. And there can be a pleasure in it, right? That we feel right, but then it doesn't go anywhere. There's no understanding. So it's often there's that question, do I want to be free or right? Well, often we we choose right, right? (laughs) It's so sad. It's so miserable. It's so separate. We feel so separate when we're angry. It's so opposite the truth. And we're blaming someone else for feeling so separate. It's their fault. When I, um, we invited Sayada Upandita to teach a retreat on the big island of Hawaii. And very early on the volcano went off. And I, I'd never seen it. 
And that just liquid fire coming up from the earth and just exploding out um, was the first time I felt like I had some validation for my own anger. Like it was so moving. I didn't think about it. I just stood there and I was so moved by this energy and and started to understand that force of it building and building and not noticing the initial what the initial annoyance right and the initial irritation i was not allowed to have an angry thought or i would have been beat up by my dad right like i wasn't allowed to even think an angry thought so the level of defense was total denial it protected me but then of course how would it happen? Well, it would build and build and build until, yeah, in on retreat I started, I can only joke about the jury and the judge and the lawyer. I'm good at it, right? I'm good at being right, you know. And, oh, just seeing that energy that it was okay. And I really try to notice, like, before it gets to the volcano going off, I try to work with mindfulness of impatience or mindfulness of frustration or you know mindfulness of annoyance and then when it starts getting into the judge and jury I'm usually the judge by the way (laughs) it's just and it's just starting to build at some point I just drop out of the thinking and I notice what's going on in my body and it's usually, with any kind of difficult emotion, that the heart is tight and there's usually heat. And for people who don't feel emotion that much as physical sensations, there's usually something tightens a little. It can be very little, or you can notice, <laughs> with my body it turns into the volcano, but boy, it goes off and it's fine. That first time when I saw it, it helped me so much, accept it. And so that little me that says, no, I'm not angry, right? I'm not annoyed. Just like we, <laughs> we see it so much on a retreat. It's so cool. It's like you can feel like you're going along good and then you, you, you feel off. You can usually trace it to you. something annoyed you and you didn't want to admit it. You held on to things going right. That little teeny little thing that happened. It's like all it takes on a pure sunny day is that one little cloud to go in front of the sun and it blocks it. So that freedom of being able to have that without conditions open up and be with it. And if we can't, that's okay. If you did the whole jury thing and you got right, eventually you'll, you'll, something else will happen, right? Life will move on. And it's not like you won't get another chance to be with anger. We tend to relate to this as like, it, if we aren't able to be with something, well, it's our last chance to be with fear, right? No, it's our last chance to be with joy or anything. It's like, where do we get this? You can, you can take a break, skip it. 
In the factors of enlightenment, the fourth factor, rapture, is sometimes translated, a piti, P-I-T-I, translated as rapture or joyful interest. I really like the definition of um, this being the deep delight in the truth itself. The deep delight in the truth itself. And that, that is that, that's this incredible freedom where you really are interested in something painful and it's genuine. There's nothing like it. There just isn't because it's, it's just, it just, um, the little me just has to let go to have this happen and it feels so wonderful to be interested in the truth that includes that inclusivity anything that can happen, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So this is called, it's like you're overcoming the pleasure-pain syndrome. And you can't force it. You can't command recognition, acceptance, interest, non-identification. This isn't like a drill, you know, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right? Uh, Interest now, right? It's not like that. It just doesn't work that way. And it's either going to be there or not. But certainly, as the Buddha taught, it's like there's, with the factors of awakening, if there's mindfulness, then there's some pure investigation, there's some energy, courage. If there's enough courage, at times we'll overcome the pleasure-pain syndrome joyful and that it's it's that delight in being connected with the truth and the um the buddha also taught that there's a stream of dissatisfaction that runs through the human thought stream and it's very important to know this. Like to, he called it an army of Mara, the third army of Mara, hunger, thirst, and then dissatisfaction. And it's, um, if you understand that this is just how the human mind is, you won't get so distressed about it or disturbed by it. It's just like, you know, things can be almost perfect, but they're, it's not quite good enough, right? That sitting just wasn't quite good enough, that that soup wasn't quite good enough, you know, right? There's all kinds of ways that we do it. That sleep I had, you know, it could have been a little better. I remember the time and, you know, I remember I had a sitting 10 years ago. Boy. (laughs) So that each moment when it's not quite good enough, try to remember that this is, how the human mind is. 
it's not personal. You're not special with it. It's not like you're the one who has that stream of dissatisfaction. But what can happen, and this is all related to interest, that the deep delight, is that you shift it so that you're, say you're with the breath, is that breath just enough? It has to be moment by moment. If you're eating a piece of lettuce, it's like, if you're really there, if you're taking a step, if you're really there, it's just enough. In fact, it's too much. You know, you try to be with just one in-breath and you almost can't do it. You try to be with, try to be with chewing and swallowing and try to be with the whole thing. Usually we miss the swallowing and we're at the next bite, right? How can we possibly feel nourished and full if we, we didn't swallow consciously? We swallowed, but did we receive the food? We, you know, and again, that's all traces to the sense of loneliness and alienation. It's that sense that because we're, we're not there. So again, I'm really trying to point out that when something isn't good enough, do we demonize it? Oh, no, you try to learn how to be with it. Here's the not good enough place. And the non-identification I described somewhat. How I wanted to um, talk about it tonight a little more was um, one of our teachers in Burma, Sayadaw Ulakana, that was um, the abbot of the Chazwa Monastery that we still teach at. Every Every bit of time that goes by since he died, I feel more and more uh, incredible gratefulness to him that he wanted Steve to teach with him there, a lay person, unprecedented. And then when Steve wasn't allowed in, when I went, I, I checked with him, you wanna, you really wanna teach with a lay woman? You know, is this for real? And he's like, yeah. It's for real. And it's unimaginable what he gave us. There's, it's, it's beyond anything I can say. Just before um, Steve left, he was there teaching and, and Sayadaw got very ill and Steve went to visit him in the hospital. And, you know, it was known that he would die soon, Sayadaw Ulakana. And Steve was there with him, and their very deep connection. This is why Ulakana invited Steve up there in the first place. 
And Sayada Upandita gave Steve permission to go. So Sayada Ulakana said to Steve, you know, you look worried about me. And Steve said, yeah. And uh, he said, please don't, you don't have to worry about me. I have total faith in my kama. Can you imagine saying that? I have total faith in my kama. And when we're, when we're sitting and walking, like what's appearing is just kama. It's just sankara, it's called sankara upeka, but it's like, well no, that's not called sankara upeka. What's possible is a deep equanimity, unconditional acceptance of kama unfolding. Kama unfolding, you don't have to believe in lifetimes. All you have to do is be with what's appearing, moment by moment. That's all you have to do. And it's, it's, I have total faith in that in all of us. If we can ripen that ability to just be with whatever's appearing, not a past memory about it, not the memory, not the visual image, but just being with what's happening, or if a visual image happens in the moment, it's seeing. But just, just that deep, without conditions, letting it all just flow by. And as we all live, you know, we have a collective karma on the planet, just that we're with this process, with such kindness, relating to this unfolding with such kindness and such wisdom that we will have total faith in our karma. So basically, we come to understand that that's what we do. We, we, we live out our and a lot of the time we're, we're bucking it like a wild horse. We don't want it. <laughs> it's not good enough, <laughs> right? And that's where we suffer. And so again, you don't demonize the bucking it, but you start to see that usually our own inner world is like a comedy or a tragedy, depending on how we're relating to it. And uh, there's this possibility that um, the war is over. There's this possibility that there is peace, this deep experience, acceptance, unconditional, at each of the sense doors, moment by moment. And it's worth every knee pain, it's worth every struggle with whatever we're struggling with to get free, it's, it's just the comma unfolding. We got born. So hopefully you heard that it's okay to have a natural defense system, that it protects the 
the flower bud and that there's this gradual opening as we replace gradually the drop with the rain. And I'd like to end with um, a quote from Srinazargadatta. Truth gives no advantage. It gives no higher status, no power over others. All you get is the truth and the freedom from the faults. Truth can be expressed only by the denial of the faults. This is not me, this is not mine, this is not I, whatever appears, this is not me, this is not I, this is not mine, even the deepest peace This is not me, this is not mine, this is not I. Truth gives no advantage. It gives no higher status, no power over others. All you get is the truth. And sometimes you get the deep delight in the truth. Let's sit for a minute. 